Welcome into another edition of the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. It is overcast here in Lincoln. Looks like it's about to storm. Could be bad signs for, for the weekend ahead. I'm Mike Schaefer. Brunts tried to get in a word there before I introduced him. He knows the rules. He's not supposed to do that. Brunch, you may now speak. The uh, First off, some breaking news on the podcast, I think. Uh, this isn't really podcast-friendly news, but... I don't know if this is germane uh, to anything. Oh, I think it's germane to a lot of things. Um, open the door to the uh, 24-7 Sports North Lincoln offices, and what do I see standing in front of me but a beardless Mike Schaefer. Uh, I believe I... Did I shriek? There, there was some kind of guttural noise that came out of me. It's kind of the Hank Hill, oh! Yeah. Um, just a real surprise. I mean, first off... How's how's the beardless life? Uh, it's interesting. It's a little chilly. Um, you can feel the air a little bit more in your face when you don't have several inches of hair protecting your your skin from things. But uh, other than that, it's fine. I I'm always surprised by what I look like um, <laughs> when I when I go on these spurts like this. Yeah. Uh, and I basically just come to the conclusion that if I don't have a beard, I'm just a pretty good villain for a generic white fat person. You uh, like you look you like the rest me, of us schlubs, you, basically. You, you can put me in the background of any bar scene of any television show or movie, <laughs> and it looks like I fit in. Like, I am just unbelievably generic if I don't have a beard. And then even then, even with a beard... Pretty generic in that regard too. I think I'm just a generic individual. So you are a noted recruiting analyst and cheers extra Mike Schaefer yeah, is basically much. what you're saying. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's accurate. When, when you were kind of going through there with the uh, with the weed whacker, taking that beard off. I mean, was there any uh, was there wildlife in there? Did you find like no. six month old pieces of bread or soup or anything? Or <laughs> there was no soup. <laughs> there was no Cheerios, no Doritos, uh, no Cheetos. Um, no, I, it, it went very well. Um, naturally I like decided whether I wanted to keep the, uh, the 1790s London huge sideburns mustache look. That been I right. think I would have been an amazing, uh, I believe they call them copper, uh, yeah. back in those days or constable, I guess, if you will. Um, that would have been a, a good look, though I decided to pass on that and just went fully clean shape. Maybe a Commodore of some kind? If, could have been. Yeah. Uh, Definitely op- could have been a Commodore. Opportunity missed, as far as I'm concerned. Well, but yeah, maybe. That's uh, probably enough of the mus- the mustache beard talk for the day. But yeah, that's far more than I was thinking. The three minutes worth. Um, more than Nebraska <laughs> basketball is getting, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, big recruiting weekend, it spring is. game coming up. Um, where should we go first? Guide this little boat around, Commodore. Well, let's... Uh, I appreciate this. Um, let's just start with recruiting, because I think that's the more important of the two things that will be occurring on the weekend. The, the actual spring game itself, the results don't matter. I think that, unfortunately, there will be a couple guys that are probably going to be pretty limited as to what they can actually do, which will, in some ways hamper Nebraska a little bit offensively. If Stanley Morgan doesn't play at all, Nebraska loses its best wide receiver. You lose an opportunity to kind of get your best on best of Stanley Morgan versus Chris Jones in the battle of the eights. And so that's uh, a little disappointing in my opinion. No crazy Um, eights. Yeah, no crazy eights. But Stanley Morgan dealing with a little bit of a tissue injury in his neck. Um, I believe the the non-medical term for this is he might have a crick in his neck. (laughs) Uh, the, fo- the folksy diagnosis yeah. is a crick. I, I think it is. It's got the Jimmy legs. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's what I assumed that it would be. Yeah. Uh, I saw him walking off the field in the green jersey, and I thought Nebraska had picked up another quarterback at some point, and I had never bothered to discover this, and was very confused until I realized that it was Stanley Morgan. A, surpri- so. a surprise entrant into the uh, yeah. quarterback competition. Late. I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> this guy hasn't even thrown a pass all spring, and now he's in a green jersey? This yep. is big. He's coming on strong at the end. <laughs> well, turns out Stanley Morgan not playing quarterback, uh, sticking at wide receiver, may not play this Saturday. Uh, but we'll just, you know, jump into the recruiting. I mean, real quickly, Nebraska has a big visit weekend. The list is taking shape. I mean, for the most part, 
the guys that we have down have remained true to the fact that they're coming out. We've uh, removed Brevin White, so Nebraska will not have likely a 2018 quarterback that they're looking at for scholarship purposes. Now, there could be some potential walk-on guys that will be there. But uh, quarterback, the focus will likely be on the 2019 visitors, Grant Gannell and Max Dugan. Um, before we jump into all of that, I want to I want to really focus more on 2018. 2019 will have their time. They, they can't just jump to the front of the line. No, no, no. So, I mean, whether it's Manuel Allen, Brandon Radley-Hiles, Joshua Moore, Calvin Avery, Jalen Redmond, Draco Bynum. I mean, there's just a ton of talent that's going to be out here. They're coming from a lot of different directions, a lot of different positions. Um, pretty much every coach, every coach has someone that they'll be working on this weekend, which is ideally what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, Nebraska has um, a couple running backs, one in 2019, one in 2018 with Graham Roberts, uh, Garrison Johnson coming out in 2019 from Texas. So Reggie Davis has a few. Trent Bray has a couple linebackers. And then everybody else has some pretty sizable numbers that they'll be working with. I mean, considering, uh, you know, you just never know what the spring game visit list is going to look like. Yeah, and, and it's – we've kind of touched on it, I think, but the the defensive end group is, is pretty intriguing. I, I think the wide – line yeah, for the, sure. The wide receiver group, of course, is yep. going to be – uh, any number of, of, of guys coming from distance for that. Uh, the, the, the 19 quarterbacks are interesting to me, but we won't go down that route. Antoine Reed, the offensive tackle coming in. Chris Bleich, who's currently committed to Penn State, uh, but very much looking around, I think. Uh, who I, – I, we get asked this all the time. I mean, how many potential commits do you see out of this group? I mean, I think there's a, a few guys that – are kind of pointing to being closer to decisions than others. Yeah, I think that you're going to have a few immediate commits, you'll have a few long-term commits, and you'll have some in between. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they end up with, you know, 10 out of their, let's say they signed 16 people in their class. I wouldn't be surprised if 10 of the 16 attended Saturday's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes, obviously, you know, several of the commitments that will already be there. In addition to guys that I think like Brendan Radley-Hiles, obviously, and that'll be in July when he makes his announcement. Nebraska is trending well there. Manuel Allen, I think another wide receiver. You know, they're going to have eight or nine in town. So if you get Manuel Allen and you can get another one, if you shoot for the sky and it's Josh Moore, great. If not, I mean, I think Calvin Avery is someone to keep an eye on. Graham mm-hmm. Roberts, uh, Chris Bleich, Chris or... Um, Antoine Reed on the offensive line. A, a number of those defensive linemen intrigue me. Um, and then there's the, the defensive backs, which we don't really talk about as much. But I think that... I'm already blanking on his name. The the guy from Corvallis. Talanoa Hufunga. Look at that, folks. <laughs> Brooks has been working on that name for yeah, weeks. I practice it every night. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's that's very nice. Uh, I He's someone that really intrigues me. Um... Hughes, the linebacker, is intriguing because I'm not entirely sure how he fits with the 3-4. Um, there's just enough people that it would be surprising if they don't come away with this weekend with a lot of momentum in terms of moving up boards for some guys. Do you think that, the, I mean, there was a lot made last year of the visit list. I mean, again, guys, wide receivers, uh, a lot of talent there coming from distance. Uh is, was last year's group better than, than this year's? Or is this is this an improvement even over last year's group? Well, last year you had... Yeah, I believe 9 of 17. Or, or excuse me, 9, yeah. nine guys from yeah, the class. Ultimately. Yeah. I think this year could be an improvement. I mean, depending on who they come away with uh, in terms of those commitments. I, I would really... It would depend on some of those top-end guys. I mean, if you come away with two four-star wide receivers out of this group, and there's a number of them that are going to be there, whether it's Kobe Smith, Brian Addison, uh, Chase Williams, who we somehow neglected to put on our original list, which has been confirmed for a while, and that was just an oversight on our part. I mean, you have those kind of guys, if you, and if you can get those to go along with, you know, Emmanuel Allen, and you already have Eric Fuller, and and, you know, you're going to keep recruiting that spot pretty hard. I mean, I just think that the talent jump 
it could be you know pretty sizable and then that does that says nothing of, of the defensive linemen they get any of their top end guys there I mean whether it's Calvin Avery or any of those three four defensive end guys I mean you have Jalen Redman who I think would be a pretty nice pull for the second year in a row out of Oklahoma City yep and then Daniel Carson who intrigues I think a lot of people out of Independence Missouri and that's a guy that you know would be a really nice 500 mile radius win for Nebraska uh, we haven't even mentioned Mario Goodrich yet. That's a guy that uh, I think could be part of that group that ends up as a commitment and uh, stems out of this spring game. Yeah, the, the crystal ball already trending very Nebraska-heavy for him, uh, as well as Manny Allen, who you mentioned, a wide receiver out of California. Uh, the, I think the guy that I'm curious to see what Nebraska can do is Calvin Avery because you've got a number of guys coming up from Bishop Dunn uh, in the Dallas area. Damian Daniels is – part of the 2017 class. He revisited with him before. I, I think he said a couple times that Nebraska is among his top schools. So I, it's Nebraska, Oklahoma. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a, enough contact with John Perella for the last year to, to say that Nebraska is probably maybe a little bit ahead of Oklahoma, even though it's a little bit farther away than, than Dallas at this point. Yeah, and if they could somehow get Gabriel Union uh, to the spring game and, and <laughs> use that card as they were able to do with um, Damian Daniels, and I'd like to very quickly point out that was not an actual card that was being played. It right. was a, uh, a mere coincidence. Yes. But um, I, I think that you're right. The, the thing that interests me the most, and I've had this discussion with you, I think, either on this podcast or you know off the podcast a few times, the position numbers that they can take really makes it interesting. So if, if you can get both Daniel Carson and Calvin Avery you're going to do it. In addition to Masri May Pew, you'd have an outstanding defensive line class that continues what was a very good one from the previous year. But if you take three defensive linemen, you're going to have to pull that number off of another position. It just it, it It's going to be really interesting how this class gets built from a numbers perspective to me. And if they get into December and you have you know Nebraska feeling good about a defensive lineman, but they already have two committed, uh, Kavanaugh feels great about adding another tackle, but they've already got two offensive linemen committed. Trent Bray thinks that they have an outside linebacker that can provide a pass rush, but they already have one committed. I mean, where where are they going to pull the extra number from? Because if you already think that wide receiver is going to be at three and it can't really go lower than that, I, it's just you look at all those numbers. You take one tight end, you have Cameron Jurgens. you don't really probably need to grab another. I assume you're going to take one quarterback. Maybe you only end up with one running back. But it's just it's just going to be fascinating when they get to that crunch, and we're a long way from that. But it's, some of it starts here, where you get an opportunity to host a lot of these guys. I just think that it's going to make the numbers very interesting to work with. The Based on what you've seen so far this spring, I mean, we've been operating on you know, 15, 16, kind of being the class size. Is there... Anything that you've seen this spring that suggests that Nebraska needs to maybe shift their list a little bit of taking more of this position versus this position of maybe what we thought six weeks ago? Uh, hammer the hell out of wide receiver. Defensive back, I think they can get away with only taking two. Uh, especially if they can get, you know, if you get the combination of Mario Goodrich and, and Brandon Radley-Hiles, that's really good because you've gotten... I think a difference maker at corner and a potential guy that could play corner or safety in Goodrich. And Goodrich with the size could be a potentially elite corner because of that size and athleticism. So I I think that I look at at defensive back and I think they've got some really good numbers there. I look at wide receiver and I think they really need to add there. I look on the offensive line and I think there's a lot of guys that they don't know what they have yet. Yeah. So it's not a position where I think they're in dire straits. I look at the defensive line and I think... They've got three guys coming in that they're going to have to figure out where they're going to play. And that could really, you know, if all three of them end up as nose tackles, do you need to go and get Calvin Avery at that point? I think I think you do because it's to me it's an issue of depth at those spots. I mean, I know you've got DeAndre Thomas coming in. He's probably an end in a 3-4. Right. Uh, I think that he is too, but if they, for whatever reason, have him as a nose tackle and, and they already have Deontay Watts and Damian Daniels slotted there, you'd have three nose tackles in one class. I think all of a sudden 
end becomes more of a value position. Though. Yeah. But that's that's the problem when you have such a small class because if you can get a Calvin Avery, I don't know how you'd say no to that. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you, again, don't want to be in that situation where you're in December or January and you've told somebody no when you probably had room for them anyways. Yep. I mean, we've... The over-signing rules in the Big Ten are interesting to me because everybody just assumes, oh, yeah, you can take three three above what the number is, but there's actually a lot of behind-the-scenes yeah. work that goes into being able to take more than three. Um, so, you know, I, I think if they can plan ahead for that, they can do that. But, um, you know, I, I still think with the way they've kind of finished up classes in the past, it seems like they've maybe left some things on the table that, that could have ended up in the class as well. Yeah, I I definitely agree there. I'm trying to think of other positions that have jumped out to me. Does uh, Nebraska t- take a kicker this year, you think? They offered a couple, but one of the ones that they offered, or maybe they only offered one, Evan McPherson, I believe, committed to Mississippi State this past weekend. Uh, if he hasn't, I should probably go put in a crystal ball for that. <laughs> um, I So I'm not entirely sure. I mean... They also don't know fully what they have with their 2017 class yet, both walk-ons and with signees. So that could dictate some things, but we'll uh, we'll see. Plus, you know, Scott Booker hasn't been here for a full month yet. Right. So he maybe hasn't had a chance to figure out what it is that Nebraska needs at kicker as he's doing his consulting business on the side. Yeah. Um, full consultant. Full consultant. Um I guess with this big visit weekend, you've also got, I think we should maybe touch on this a little bit, but uh, coming up in the next couple of days, you've got a pretty big vote coming uh, in the NCAA yeah. Yeah. that it might very drastically or would very drastically change, change the game, change how things are done. Um, I mean, you're looking at earlier visits. Uh, we talked offline about this a little bit about kind of how Nebraska is going to play this out if it goes through. But uh, what are kind of your thoughts on on how this could affect a, a program like Nebraska and, and the challenges they already face? I think it goes a number of ways because if you look at this spring game and you think, wow, they're able to get a lot of these guys that can pay their own way to come out here, do you use the spring game for a ton of official visits going forward? Or do you want them to come out in June and you just kind of, you know, create a big red weekend in which you have official visitors? Do you um, do you want them to come out in the fall so they can see an actual game? Like, it's just, I think the, the strategy and the psychology of all of it gets really interesting. And nobody knows what the correct answer is because it hasn't happened yet. And even though there's an acceleration in commitments... One of Nebraska's coaches told me, and we were just talking, you know, in general sense about recruiting, that even even with the acceleration of commitments, none of it truly matters until signing day or shortly before. Because you look at what happened with Tyjon Lindsay, that was, you know, locked in and done, and Nebraska was out when he picked Ohio State, and it was over, and then it wasn't. Right. And so... Yes, there'd be an early signing period, and if there was in December and he had chosen to sign that, then that changes things a little bit. But there's also a pretty prevailing theory that a lot of players might bypass on signing just to be sure. Yeah. Especially because what happens is, and and I think people forget this, the coaches can't really go on the road during the season. So relationships are mostly just phone work and... Um, checking in on, you know, Twitter. So when they can go back on the road in December is sort of when you see the Tyjon Lindsay things change. Mm-hmm. Because that's when it's like, oh yeah, I really like this guy. And my situation at Ohio State is different than when it was when I committed. And this guy has always been there. And I like. so it's, it becomes interesting because those two weeks all of a sudden, which were already the most two important weeks in the recruiting calendar, mm-hmm. I think become even more important. Because what happens now is coaches are going to have to expend a lot of capital to just try to lock in the guys that they want to sign in the early part of the period. 
in addition to going out if they have to recruit more and, and you're working on top targets that are still undecided and you can't leave them hanging. Right. So, it, I mean, like I said, there's just a lot of threads to this whole thing and you can pull on any of them and just keep going with it for a while. And I wonder how the, the rule changes or what they actually do for a program like USC or UCLA that are smack dab in the middle of tons of talent. I mean, I don't think the early official visits change all that much for them. No. Because, I mean, the what's the difference for a guy coming across town in, in April and, versus September? You and know? the thing is with a UCLA or USC, if you look up their official visit numbers, they're low to begin with. Right. And, and it's they're maybe taking 30 official visits total because they don't have to one pay that much to have people show up and they don't have to expend the the coach's time that's involved with an official visit as much yeah and it's I think from Nebraska's point of view I, I it'll be interesting to watch how they balance the like the what they want to get across because we've seen that big red weekends can be very powerful it's more one-on-one contact with the coaches and the prospect but I think at the same time, the staff is very aware and is pretty good at utilizing the game day experience, even though it might not be, you don't get the same one-on-one contact that you do in the summer. But what I think that there's kind of a trade-off because if a guy comes in in June, I mean, what's he seeing? He's seeing an empty stadium, nobody on campus. And he's just getting to hang out with coaches a little bit more. I mean, you that's also, the balance. You also get a lot of your commitments with that in January and December. Granted, there's scarcity and there's, you know, you're up against the gun a little bit. But I think that it's just, it's hard because for two years, Nebraska hasn't landed a bunch of in-season commitments under this staff. Right. Going back, they haven't landed a bunch of in-season commitments. So it's just kind of a... But I guess like you're setting up December and January with those visits in the fall. Right. Even if guys are still taking visits and whatever. But, I I mean, we'd have to go back and look like how many of them that they had come in for in-game visits they ended up getting as commitments. Uh, And what that percentage is. If that percentage is good relative to another program that faces a similar situation. Problem is Nebraska is sort of an outlier program in a... Right. A lot of instances. Yep. So it kind of operates on its own um, in terms of the percentages are just its own wild card. We went so far down this rabbit hole, I yeah. don't know where we're at anymore. To, to reset this, uh, we're, we're talking I, about potential recruiting rules. I, I have one other question, though, because okay. part of that vote is also the potential addition of a 10th assistant coach, which yes. if it goes through Thursday or Friday... I mean, how soon do we see Nebraska name that tenth assistant coach? You mean how soon does Tavita Thompson's Twitter bio change, change with yeah. no announcement? Yeah, um, I would hope pretty quickly because I think that would be a boon for just about everybody and get them on the road quick. Yeah. And if you're Tavita or whoever, like if it's somebody else in the program already working there, you're going to want that paycheck to change a little bit. I would imagine when you're a graduate assistant versus you know. Yeah, there's a few more Actually, heroes that come along with that, at least, with that title. At a least. Few. So that would... Um, I, I think, weirdly, I think the 10th assistant is more interesting to me than some of the actual recruiting changes. Because I don't think that early visit... Excuse me. I think the early visit's important. I don't think the early signing day is going to work in the way that right, it's I don't perceived. No. I would imagine you'll have a lot of kids that are like, nah, I'm good. I want to do my thing on February, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only the only kids I really see benefiting from that are the guys who are committed like in March, are not going anywhere, aren't hearing from other schools, have completely yeah. locked it down. But like, there's not a ton of those kids. There's not. Nebraska has, I think, more than most programs do. Right. But I don't know. I, I I would imagine too that some school. Like, okay, so if you're if you're Brock Bando, who's already an early enrolling, uh, if you're I'm trying to think of somebody from the last. Class. An example would be like Austin Allen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like he would probably have Matt Sichterman. Right. Uh, those guys, I think, would have been more likely to shut it down. And the other, the flip side of that is too, is if you're a program, and there are programs out there that all of a sudden decide they don't want a guy in January. Do, do you also, if you're kind of looking at numbers, not saying this is Nebraska, but do you want that kid to sign in December knowing that 
when you get to January and, and kind of leading up to signing day that there might be a little bit of a numbers crunch there because that kind of handcuffs the school to be able... Right, oh yeah. Like all of a sudden, Michigan doesn't have room for a guy or USC right. decides that, you know, hit the bricks. Right. Bobby Petrino can't kick a running back commit off two days before signing day and after the last visit period. For example. So, uh, great guy, that Bobby Petrino. <laughs> not, not very Just good a at, high moral, high character individual. Not very good at riding motorcycles, though. Yeah, well, everybody's got their weaknesses. <laughs> but that's pretty much his only one. Yeah. So, uh, anything else we need to hit on recruiting-wise before we kind of jump into the team stuff? No, nah, let's jump in. Jumping into the team stuff. Spring game MVP, go. Uh, I'm going to go with two guys. I'll get two. two. You, you pick two. Two. Uh, two on each side of the ball. They don't even have to be MVPs. Guys that you're looking forward to watching. Guys that you think might impress. Whatever you want to use for it. I'm going with my obscure, obscure who is this guy MVP of the spring game because there's always at least one. Uh, on offense, give me White Mazur. Give me Austin Ro- or excuse me, White Mazur. I'm going to go Connor Young at wide receiver. Are you taking my Connor Young pick? Uh, on defense, I'm going to go uh, Reed Carroll. Uh, Reed Carroll. Safety. Um, and I'm going to go with, oh man, I'll go with Mo Berry. He's a known entity, but I think he's going to flash a little bit. They, they can be known entities. It's just who's going to you know impress. I'm going to go with my four. That's my four. Nice. Who you got? On defense, I am going to go with my more obscure one, uh, bumped up because of the injury of JoJo Doman and potential sub-packages, Zachary Stovall. Okay. And also, I'm going to stick in the secondary, I think Tony Butler might have a... uh, Grandpa Tony. Grandpa Tony going to get a a run out of the, the nursing home here. Wow. So, uh, that's what I like on defense. On offense, Connor Young was one of them. You... You also honed in on that. Uh, I, I have a tough time with this because I have to pick just one, and I want to just take the tight end position, but I can only pick just one. Yep. Um, I'm gonna go David Inglehop. Yeah. I think he'll have a uh, a nice day running with the the twos and the threes, and some opportunity. He and uh, Jebia could could hook up for some yards there. Uh, going against the threes, I think the tight ends in general will catch quite a few passes on Saturday. I agree, and I of the quarterbacks, who do you think that when the the newspapers hit the driveways on Sunday morning, uh, who's going to be the quarterback that's going to have the most impressive day for Nebraska in that spring game? I almost never picked the first string, but we don't know what the we don't know what the format's going to be like, so it. That's the challenge. This is where, you know, when I, I knew I could bet against A.J. Bush because he was going against the first-string defense, I, I did it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to make bets unless I know my information. Um, uh, I guess O'Brien, maybe? But I, I'm not even going to answer. I can't answer. I have a feeling that when things kind of come out on Sunday, that there's going to be a lot of chatter about the potential of Tristan Jebbia. Yeah, there's already been though. But I, but I don't know that people get it. Like, yeah, it's uh, the first response that people see are going to have when they see him is, man, this kid needs to put on some weight, uh, which is true. However, I think that I, I think there's going to be an appreciation for a how efficient he is. Uh, and I, I just I feel like he's going to have a strong game. Just gut. I think, and I could be wrong here, but just given the wide receiver depletion, Tanner Lee could have a rougher game going. If he's the one that goes against the ones, mm-hmm. he might have a rougher game simply because they're not going to have the best wide receivers out there. Yeah. But I could see where if Tanner Lee is with the twos and – I could see, like, Connor Young, if he's playing as their number one outside wide receiver. I mean, I could see that working out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the, the thing I'm going to be watching is defensively, do they do they really turn things loose? Because we, we've seen some blitz packages 
Bob Diaco yesterday saying that he doesn't see this as a, uh, what did he say? An audition. Not a dress rehearsal. No, it's, an, it's not me. an audition, it's a dress rehearsal. Yeah, that's right. Because it's not like they're auditioning for Cats on Broadway, I think is how we put it. Um, which was a new one. Do you think that Bob Diaco has been on Broadway? Like seen a show or actually yeah. performed? No, seen uh, a show. I, I would assume that he has probably seen a Broadway show. I'm going to guess. Maybe off-Broadway. Have I you seen like, a Broadway show? I have not. I haven't either. Not on-Broadway. I've seen... I didn't even see a show when I was in New York. I was so busy walking that there was just no... The show was the city. Yeah. The play was life. <laughs> what an analogy. <laughs> it's just one big morality tale in New York City. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, but. We've seen defensive progress. I think the defense is farther ahead than where I thought they would be at this point. Um, but does he turn the turn them loose? That's what, I, what I'm curious to see. Release the hounds. Let them eat. Yep. Um, Everybody just getting a spoonful of whatever. Just a big heaping spoonful of quarterback. Um, the other area that that I want to discuss briefly with you uh, that we that has kind of been at the forefront of a lot of discussion the last week uh, is, is the hand wringing about the offensive line and where they're at. Uh, we've got Cole Conrad now playing center, John Rarden's at guard. A lot of uh, it's not I wouldn't say it's musical chairs, but people are certainly walking around in circles um, to some music. Do you think that? Uh, that's what you call a middle school dance. <laughs> Tackles on one side, guards on the other. Mountain um, being sold for a dollar at some table. Yep. Uh, level of concern for you about the offensive line, is it overblown at this point? Uh, my concern is not so much with the starters as it is in the general philosophy and development of the linemen. And I've had this conversation several times with several different people and kind of each person has their own sort of thought. Um, but I guess for me, I look at it like your your backup lineman or just really using Cole Conrad as an example. Nebraska has determined that it's more valuable to them for a guy that started last year in Cole Conrad as a right tackle to move to center at the end of the spring than to continue with John Raritan's development over the past year at center. When he was recruited for center, when it was expected that he would play center, Michael Decker has spent two years developing at center, and they don't either feel comfortable or don't want to start one of those two guys. It concerns me about the long-term big-picture on the offensive line because the development behind guys like Nick Gates and Gerald Foster is concerning because I don't feel like they're being pushed at all in the spring and they should be still because they're, you know, they started a bunch of games. I mean, Gates has started a bunch of games. Foster has started four games. I mean, and it doesn't feel like there's anything pushing for their job. On the other side, you have Bo Wilson and Tanner Farmer in a knockdown drag out fight. Uh, that Farmer has been winning. So it, I just, I worry that if they don't have that sort of development behind them, when time comes, the offensive line, if there's an injury, isn't going to have a capable replacement. And there's questions as to how good they are right now with their starters. If those guys have plateaued and the development isn't great behind them, it just, I don't know. I, I mean, I went full worst picture right there. But it is concerning to me as to where, because for all the hand-wringing about Nebraska's talent, the one spot on the field where they've continually been able to bring in, you know, low-level fours, high-level threes has been on the offensive line. So where the hell are these guys? That was a uh, pretty hot message board take there. Not quite full-blown aims. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that it's a pretty accurate over the last couple years. It is. And I, I think... I look at the the move of Conrad to center being more about the fact that, I mean, we talked about this, that Nebraska loves Cole Conrad. Right, yeah, and they should. I think he's good. Yeah. I, but it doesn't make sense to me to take him to a position he hasn't played Right. versus a guy that you've been developing for that spot. 
I don't think he would beat out David Neville at right tackle. He's not beating out Nick Gates at left tackle. I think that they see that as kind of the path of least resistance to the field. And I, I totally get your point. I think you're I think you're right that, you know, at some point you kind of have to figure out where a guy's going to go and develop him there. Like, I think that's a, a, a correct Or thing. give them a chance there. Right. I guess is more or less what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually surprised to hear you say that you think that Neville... I mean, at what point did you think that Neville had a lock on that job? I feel like he's had a very quiet and a very strong spring, especially given the the injury issues that he had last year. Yeah. The fact that, uh, you know, he did struggle. I think a lot of that was injury-based. I think Nebraska basically is giving him another chance to win that right tackle spot. I think that's another position, though, that you could say there's not a ton of competition. I mean, you've got... Yep. You've got Matt uh, Matt Farniak over there at the right tackle spot. Uh, you know Christian Gaylord's on the left side, but he's not really pushing Nick Gates at all. Um, so it, it's, I think you're right that the lack of competition is concerning because I don't think the drop off would be nearly as bad as it was last year from that top unit to the second group guys. But um, you know I, I think it's also still a little bit early for guys like Bo Wilson. Right. Raritan too, I think. Um, yeah, and I'm not I'm not out here campaigning that John Raritan deserves to be given the job or Michael Decker deserves to be given the job. But when you've now for two years in a row basically taken a guy and thrown him into a new position, they did it with Dylan Otter, and now they're doing it with Cole Conrad, rather than going with someone because you're worried about their inexperience and their inexperience because you don't play them. Nebraska's kind of had that that a that history at the center spot. Yeah, which is I hate what they've done at center for years. I mean, this is you want a full on message board, man. <laughs> I'm happy to give you one. Yeah, they've been terrible at center, largely outside of a surprisingly great year from Justin Jackson before he got hurt. Yep. Until you know, and Mike Caputo was serviceable, but Mark Polini wasn't very good. Dylan Otter wasn't very good. Uh, I don't know who I'm forgetting in there. Ryan Reeves was also in there. Ryan Reeves couldn't snap the ball to someone's chest. It was either to the left or it was high or it was low or it wasn't anywhere near where it needed to be. Uh, they haven't had a very good center for a consistent amount of time since Jacob Hickman. Yeah. That's a long time. That That's when time. I started covering the team. <laughs> there, it's It's been interesting. The... That's longer than I had a beard. That's true. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that it's. I think you're right. I, I think uh, the the fact that they don't have that position settled is a little concerning. And, and the and Mike Riley's answer was incredibly telling. Yeah. And that was. I mean, I think that sometimes we probably let him slide a little bit. That he'll go into automatic answer mode. But when that question hit, you could see that he didn't have. His like go-to answer there, and he gave a very real reaction yeah. and answer, and then tried to walk it back a little. Um, it was interesting. He walked it back in a way that basically highlighted what he had said earlier, yeah. though, because he he very carefully chose his words, and it, it was, yeah. So I I just think that's going to be the talk of of the spring game, especially if that first team defense does well. I think it'll be the talk of the off season. I think that Mike Cavanaugh has vaulted up to the position coach. I mean, without Mark Banker, without Bruce Reed, I think Mike Cavanaugh, the spotlight is going to be very bright on him throughout the fall season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and we'll see, I guess, Saturday how that group holds up. I thought they looked a little bit better in the scrimmage I on thought Saturday. they looked better Saturday, too, but we also got to see the ones more. And I think that's it's one of the reasons last week I thought it was overblown because we weren't seeing much out of the ones. Yeah. And then this week, I thought the ones looked pretty good. The twos looked okay. Um, I actually do think that John Raritan at left guard will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the the idea behind everything is what spawned the whole commentary. Very fair. Spring game attendance. Are you doubling down on what you said last week on the podcast? Under 80. Under 80? I'm still sticking to 83. That's my number. Currently, it's 66,000. I haven't seen the weather for Saturday, but I, I'm thinking it's – I'm going 83. I'm 77. 77? Okay. Still pretty damn good. Yeah, that's not bad considering you're charging for tickets. And yeah. The weather is not going to be perfect. 
It could be. I mean, if they get Sunday's slated weather for Saturday, it could be a hell of a day. Yeah. So, have we have we beaten the spring game to death? Is there anything we haven't? Spring game is dead. We uh, we didn't actually talk about Will Farniok, uh commitment over... Oh, Nebraska got a commitment. Yeah. First one they've had since January. Yes. Uh, not a surprising name, one that we both kind of thought was going to be... We thought would happen. I expected would happen during the spring game. I didn't know he was coming down this past weekend. Uh, I kind of had an inkling when he was there that maybe that's what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, and I believe I'd even said on the last podcast I thought Nebraska was going to lean on him a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good addition for the Huskers. I think he's another interior line guy. Center. He's a center. Well, we know what's happened with recruited centers. <laughs> they don't play. There's that. I don't know who the walk-on is that will take his job in four years, but somebody will do it. He's out there. What is that? He's out there. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Miller, maybe? Maybe. Can we just make that prediction now? I think so. Uh, yeah. Let's All do right. it. Well. Pencil that in for, what, 2021? <laughs> Mark it down. 2021, my God. You might have a beard by then again. Ah, eh, probably. You might have a beard by next week. Who knows? That's true. I'm not committed to anything. You're already growing I'm up. A wild card. Since we've been sitting here. You, I am a wild little, card. little five o'clock shadow going on in the last half hour. It grows fast. Um, Do we have to spend any time on this? Baseball? Well, baseball's great. I'm fine with that. Anything else you want to talk about? Well, do we need to address the Michael Jacobson-sized elephant in the room? We can address the six foot nine, two hundred forty-pound elephant. Yes. Uh, well, Nebraska doesn't have that elephant. <laughs> Elephant's gone. Elephant left the zoo. Elephant does not play here anymore. Elephant's uh, going back to Iowa. Probably going to go play for Drake. Yep. Uh, so. Not particularly surprising. The the rumors have been out there for yeah. a couple days. That, that smoke, that smoke had been around longer than the Kansas smoke has been hanging here in Lincoln. It was hazy. It was certainly hazy. Uh, I'm just going to ask the question and then back away. What does Nebraska do? Well, they have to go out and find another big man. I mean, they don't have any front court depth. They're going to rely pretty heavily on Jordy Shimanga. Which is great. Tanner Borchard, does he enter the... I don't think he qualifies as front court depth. And okay. he'd already quit the team once. So there's no even guarantee that he's going to be playing next year. Though I would be <laughs> kind of funny if they lose him too, I guess. At this, Funny is not the right word, but... Um, no, we'll go funny. I got nothing better than that. Okay. Uh, no, they have to go out and they have to get a graduate transfer big man or they have to get... Um, a prep big man that can play, and that's kind of hard to do right now um, because, you know, a lot of teams kind of want a prep big man that can play. So a lot of teams want a graduate transfer big man that can play. So they, they've got, what is it, now four scholarships to fill? Yep. When they had no scholarships to fill on the day of the Big Ten tournament? They were trying to fill it at that time, even though it wasn't open. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... The, the, the list of needs has grown considerably in the last Basketball, 10 days. which rosters how many scholarship players? 13, 12, Has his fourth of many scholarships available as Nebraska's next class for football. Basketball has had like 35% of its players transfer or leave from last year's team. Like the numbers just don't look good for Tim Miles at the moment. Doesn't mean that the season for next year is sunk, but they're going to have to find guys that can play. They're going to have to find a version of Evan Taylor, which was actually a productive ad for them last year. I mean, he's by no means a star, uh, and I think ideally this year he would have been a little bit more minimalized, but Anton Gill gets injured. They're going to have to find that for a big man, I think. What's going to be interesting, too, is you know Isaac Copeland is in the discussions about depth in the front court. I mean, you don't even know how healthy he's going to be. What you also don't know is, A, is he going to be available at the start of yep. the season? Because the problem is the Big Ten is having their conference tournament a week earlier, which means that the Big Ten season starts earlier uh, than it has in the past. So if he doesn't get that waiver to play right away, you're probably playing, I think, three, maybe four Big Ten games without him on the floor. Never mind the the non-conference schedule. Yeah. So, that's 
not good. Um, but not great, Bob. Gonna have to hit the uh, the transfer market hard. I think we've probably talked Nebraska basketball enough. Yeah. One last thing to end the podcast on. I I put this poll out there on our site. I don't know if you voted in it. More conference wins in the 2017-18 year Nebraska football, which plays nine games. Nebraska basketball, which plays 18 games. Uh, at this point, I would say football. Do you have a number in mind? Six and a half. You can't win a half game. Six and a half. Okay, Bronte. <laughs> Not playing by the rules. That's I, how we've come to know him. I think six to seven is probably oh, yeah, no, I think is your right. number. Um, I, right. I think the basketball team is going to be challenged a little bit in Big Ten play because the conference is going to be a little bit better next year than it was this year. Yep. Um, so if I were voting and I haven't voted, I would probably say the football team. All right. What would you say? I would. I would wonder why the person that created the poll didn't have a push option. That's a fair question. And then I would wonder what the intelligence of said person was. But then... I'm not going to wonder that. (laughs) Well, uh, then I would lean towards football. But I think basketball still has the capability of going 6-12. and So push seems like it would be the correct answer. Um... And I don't. I'm not at the point yet where I think football goes seven and two. I think they can. I, for the millionth year in a row, think that Wisconsin is a fraud and will be exposed, and Paul <laughs> Christ is garbage, and their quarterback sucks, and he's not even good enough to play in the Big Ten, and yet they'll probably be the favorite in the Big Ten West, and Nebraska will not beat them again. Um, there's your dose of podcast sunshine. I think eight conference wins is possible because I don't necessarily know if Penn State's unbeatable, but I think that's going to be a very tough game uh, at Penn State, likely in the elements, as you've come to expect that game to be. And a team that can move the ball really well. I mean, there's no question that Penn State's feeling good about where it's at offensively, coming off a Big Ten title. Ohio State is a game in which I'm marking as a loss. Yeah, I was... The six and a half was assuming... Ohio State is a loss. Penn State on the road in November being a very tough game. And then the half for, you know, Paul Christ and his plea to khakis. So, so which is interesting because neither of us are considering Iowa or Minnesota. Minnesota, I think, too much in year one to expect that they're... Well, and how do you replace future first-round pick Mitch Widener? <laughs> Stop giving you a softball down the middle. You're just lobbing it up. But talk about your friend Mitch Leitner. But, but I, I mean, Northwestern's got probably the, the most seasoned quarterback returning in the Big Ten. That's in, great. In Who's he going to throw the ball to? Like I, 40% of his passes went to one guy. That guy left. I understand that. I'm just saying. Like 70% of the first downs was that he guy. He hasn't too. had to throw against Nebraska in the past. That's He's just true. run. <laughs> He's pretty much Emmett Smith or Adrian Peterson or with Dalian Thomas. He's like QB 12, Eagles he's QB Marcus, 12. He's Marcus Vick from video games, the Madden game. Yeah. He's impossible to tap. He's QB Eagles. Um, QB Eagles. I think that, yeah, I Minnesota, I, I don't, we're, we're going to be able to beat this to death over the next couple months, but I don't think that Minnesota is going to be quite there yet. I still think Wisconsin's the toughest. Iowa's replacing their quarterback, but, you know, they're going to be Iowa. Uh, so they go good on good for 14 hours a week. That's so true. That's true. It's tough to beat. Yeah. Maybe if, uh, you know, Nebraska was a little bit more like that. Junction boys! <laughs> Kurt Ferentz. Tom Berenger! Let's get him out here. Kurt Ferentz out there just hosing down the dirt. If you met Tom Berenger, would you just refer to him as Jake Taylor the entire time? It would be hard not to. Um, I agree. So... I mean, it's the same thing with Corbin Bernstein, right? Like, <laughs> Roger Dorn. <laughs> it would be really hard not to refer to him as Dorn. You know the second thing that comes to my mind um, when his name comes up? L.A. Law? No, the really terrible like reality show of, I think it was Celebrity Mole or something. <laughs> yeah, this is like the early 2000s, and it was like the beginning of this D-list celebrities doing reality shows on ABC. <laughs> And I think he turned out to be the mole. 
And I think that was the last time I watched a reality show, like, start to finish. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast can go some interesting places if yeah. you let it. Start with beards and talking about celebrity mole. Yeah. Who are? The, do you remember other celebrities? Who I'm were looking it up now, so fill some time on there. <laughs> um, man, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how I to I want to say Dennis up. Rodman was part of it. Like Carmen Electra? I'm trying it's to one think of the first things that comes up. When I'm, you I'm trying to think of other random D-level late 90s celebrities. This is great. Great, uh, great podcast radio, by the way. There were four seasons of that show? Yeah. Um, apparently, Corbin Benson played it twice. He was the mole twice? Um, well, in the fourth season. I'm trying to find season one here. I'm just in shock that there were four seasons. Anderson Cooper was the host! Wow. What year was this? Uh, the year was 2001. That is my phone making its first appearance on the podcast. So 2001... Anderson Cooper is hosting this show that also included. Uh, looking it up. Oh, he wasn't even on this one. Those aren't celebrities. Yeah, what is this? I want celebrity mole. Oh, I looked at it wrong. Celebrity mole was actually season three. <laughs> oh, okay. Well. They still have it. There we go. Corbin Benson, Eric Von Detten, uh, Frederick Von Der Waal, Kathy Griffin, Kim Coles, Michael Boatman, and Stephen Baldwin. I, I would have, I should have known that there was a non-Alec Baldwin Baldwin brother on that show because you couldn't have any celebrity type show without a Baldwin brother. It, so is Stephen. Stephen Baldwin did Biodome, right? I believe so. Why wouldn't they list that as his number one credit? I mean, Biodome was a terrific movie. Probably Pauly Shore's best. Better than Jury Duty? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, why are we still recording? Right? I don't know. All right, well... Uh, clearly we need more work to do, which is weird because we're going to be very busy this week. Make sure you check out Nebraska.247sports.com. Uh, there will be a ton of updates uh, this weekend coming out of the spring game. Uh, there will be a ton of updates leading up to the spring game. We'll have a visit preview tomorrow. We will have um, some more recruiting content heading into this. We'll have, obviously, more team stuff because there's another practice and availability on Thursday as well. You never know when Nebraska basketball will take over the news cycle again. Baseball has won 14 out of his last 19 games. Yes, 15. 15 out of his last 19 games. And only lost three of those yep. other four because you could tie in baseball. Uh, you have anything you want to add to this incredible pitch uh, as I look up Paulie Shore's acting credits? Just a ton of stuff. Tons of stuff on the site. Stop by. Uh, perhaps next week on the podcast, I will argue that Encino Man was Pauly Shore's best movie, but uh, I, I don't know that I'm willing to go to the mattresses for that one. So... Uh, check out the site. Lots of stuff going on this weekend. Tons of coverage. And uh, thanks as always for listening.